Hello, Jess Dickinson. Hello, Dan. How are you? I'm fine. So, uh, it's not Steve Seifert. It's not Aaron O'Rourke this week. It's the honorable, the lovely, and talented Jess Dickinson. At your service. So, uh, Jess and I are doing what Steve and I did a couple of months back. We're driving back from a festival, talking. I guess if you had a some sort of a, a, a scale of justice as to who has talked the most. <laughs> what do you think, sir? Um, well, Dan, you do like to talk, but I think everybody likes to listen to you most of the time. But <laughs> uh, I've had my part. You know, we've, we've, we've been pretty compatible. I think the thing is, Jess, that people generally don't realize how much they talk. You think? And I think they generally don't realize that when I'm saying that right now, it applies to the person that's hearing it, not the person that's saying it. <laughs> well, that's probably true. But, <laughs> um, you know, I think people talk as much as they want to talk, and uh, other people who get tired of it, they wander away. Well, they can't because we're teaching. We've been teaching. Well, I'm in a car with you, so <laughs> there won't be any wandering away. But, yeah. but I've enjoyed the trip. I really have. I really have enjoyed it. I uh, have too. This is on the way back, and we've let's see, what is it? About eight hours. Yeah, about eight hours or so back. We're headed down Interstate 75. Yeah. We're now south of Cincinnati. On the trip up here, we had to take the back way off of Signal Mountain, just or up from Mississippi, and Interstate 75. It had a a rock slide. A rock slide, which I, I really wanted to avoid. Right. And uh, still what we're hearing is that the northbound lanes are closed, but the southbound lanes are open. So we're going to take the interstate all the way back. So, Yeah, and Dan's going to drive. Right. Yeah. And hopefully Jess is going to get some sleep. I found well, the quickest way to help Jess get some sleep is just talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, but, I'm hoping you don't fall asleep during the podcast. Well, you were talking. You were talking about Stephen Seifert. Oh, we were, weren't we? My friend, yeah. And so, <laughs> Jess, Jess, and I haven't really talked about what we're going to do in this podcast. Pretty much the same format that Steve and I do, and this is, uh, boy. We're just, we try to be honest yeah. about what's going on. And so the conversation that was going on in the car, just, I know this won't be offensive to you. Hopefully. You said, uh, I was just telling you about the podcast that Steve and I have been doing. And, yeah. and you basically said, tell me what a podcast is. I don't think I'd ever heard a podcast. I've heard of them, but uh, you turned on a podcast with you and Steven. And I've known Stephen for a while, and it's the first one I'd ever heard, so I was very interested, and uh, I did. Uh, I was, I enjoyed it. And and it made me happy because I kind of got to watch you light up and laugh a little bit. Yeah. And I'm going to quote you, and you can deny it. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, what he's about to say, I did not say. <laughs> Steve, uh, the, the words, as I recall them, were something like... Uh, Stephen's a lot of fun to listen to when you don't have to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I said was I really do like this podcast thing because I get to listen to Stephen without having to talk to him. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I didn't really mean that because I love Stephen. He's my friend. We all do. <laughs> so, hey, uh, anyway, moving on. I do want to get back to uh, the subject that you opened up a minute ago and didn't even know you did. Okay. Talking and teaching. Yes, What's uh, what's the right balance? It depends, I think. Uh, for my classes, it depends on whether it's a tune class or a concepts class or uh, a class where the students want to learn some particular kind of embellishment or some how to arrange or they want to learn chords. Uh, I think, to me, I think the most important thing uh, for most of those classes is to have a little talk time at the beginning to make sure they understand where we're headed. Because if you just launch out on a lesson and the students don't know where you're going, uh, they can get frustrated pretty quickly if they don't really recognize, you know, what you're working on right at that moment. How do you know if uh, you haven't talked enough or you've talked too much, Jess? I don't think you really really do know that sometimes. You just you sort of wing it. Uh, 
But, uh, you know, you talk two or three minutes to the class, and then you have them start to do something so they don't sit there for too long. And uh, I think you can kind of tell by their faces. Yeah. Yeah, you just have to read people, right? Yeah. Yeah, you really do have to do that to teach a class. So it's possible that we have some people listening to us that, that don't know about you. And I want to introduce you just a little bit. I mean, uh, I came to know you several years back. We met at Jerry Reed Smith's studio, Paralandra. Yes. yes, we did. Right at a concert? You and Stephen Seifert. I believe it was the uh, very first concert that Jerry had there. That's right. That was an interesting night. It was. You know what the highlight of that weekend was for me? Uh, Lisa. Hearing her play the flute? Yeah. yeah. She's terrific. Lisa played with me and uh, Steve, I guess. We seems like we did two concerts there. I don't know if she played them both or did we play two nights there? I don't think so. I don't think so. But I do remember the tune. Although I remember the song that Lisa played that I really liked. She uh, and I don't know. Yes, I guess you did. You played the Hammer Dulce. Oh yeah, we and Lisa. Uh, y'all, I think you did Amazing Grace. Well, but then we did kind of a free improv where she just got to yeah to blow yeah. on some blues. You remember that? I do remember that. And, and I, you know. Listen, that was actually just talking about it right now. I moved a little bit. That was a stirring moment. And she's a wonderful, she's <laughs> a wonderful musician. And, and she was really letting it out that night. Yeah. So that was that was good times. Yeah. So Jess is a uh, sits on the bench on the Mississippi Supreme Court. Am I correct on that? That's right. Won't they let you in to play? Just keep you on that bench. <laughs> well, I think. Uh, is it the Group W bench? <laughs> <laughs> from Alice's restaurant. Anyway, go ahead, Jess. <laughs> no, I, um, there aren't many hammer dulcimers in Mississippi. In fact, when I got my first one, I don't think there were any other players that I knew. I, uh, there may have been a few around. But uh, the, the other judges on the court with me uh, have been to a couple of concerts of mine and uh, some events. And by the way, Dan, if you'll remember, uh, you came down for the Southern Strings Festival, I think three years ago, four years ago. And on the way back, you stopped in Jackson. You remember that? Oh, and, absolutely. Yeah, did and, a concert with Jeff Ames. Yeah, uh, it was at my cousin's house in Jackson. And I believe that I think four of the justices on my court were there. So they've heard you play oh, the Hammer Dulcimer. Yeah, and uh, then they've been to a couple of concerts of mine and heard me play, and they like the Hammer Dulcimer. They'd never heard one before either. That's kind of interesting. It is. Uh, yeah, and again, this is all about uh, being honest and open. So okay. When I first met you at Jerry's place, you know, and you told me you hit, played Hammer Dulcimer, and you were also told me what you did for a living. One of those two things I was mildly skeptical about your abilities at. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, what do you think? About which, which would you think it would be that I was mildly skeptical about your abilities? Probably my hammer dulcimer playing. Why do you think I did that? Why do you think I felt that way? Well, you probably thought, uh, and you know, back then I was not a judge, I was a lawyer. And right. you probably thought, what lawyer could play a hammer dulcimer? <laughs> <laughs> You probably thought lawyers should be banned from hammer dulcimers. I don't yeah. know. No, you know what, Jess? I, I don't know what it is. It's just, uh, but I got to tell you, oh, my goodness, folks, if you don't know about Jess Dickinson's music, let me talk just a bit, a little bit about the concert we did last night. You played uh, something from Phantom of the Opera, and you played uh, Starry Starry Night by uh, uh, Don McLean, and Jess plays a big... D650 with that wonderful big rich bass tone on it and <laughs> you know the phrase you don't know about this Jess you know that phrase you you could have heard a pin drop yes last night during one of your pieces someone dropped a piece of paper and <laughs> I'm not kidding it was quiet enough that you could hear the paper fall and people looked over to see what had happened because everybody was just mesmerized by by your playing and by the tone coming from it. It was, it was really? fantastic. Yeah, and that, of course, that wasn't the first time I've heard you play, but 
If you don't know Jeff Dickinson's music, you need to check it out. And he's got a great website. And he's got books and things on there. And you're, I'll stop in a minute because I know this makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. But he doesn't. He's not just a good player and a good guy all the way around. He takes care of other people, and he's a big supporter of everyone. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I got to say that concert last night, uh, all of the performers. Uh, everybody was really, really good. It was a enjoyable, entertaining. Everybody was on last night, weren't they? But I got to tell you, the people up there uh, at that festival were just amazing. It up was at Buckeye. A, yeah, the Buckeye Festival. It was just amazing. Uh, it really is like a big family there. And it's so easy to do well in a concert when the people who are there to hear it really like the music and That's they right. and they really yeah. show you they enjoy the music and and those folks did yeah so uh it was their 25th anniversary too Jess. it was so it that's was, all it was yeah. all nice yeah 25 years for that festival so listen i'm not going to let this opportunity of having uh someone who's done what you've done sitting here next to the car in the car with me and trapped <laughs> get away without pinning you down on some areas in which you have the greatest expertise of anyone that I know personally. Okay. And I'm going to go ahead and make this disclaimer for Jess at the beginning. Um, he's an attorney. Um, he's the Supreme Court judge, and he is not looking for service. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so how many people do you want to call you with questions after this? <laughs> oh. Uh, Customer-related, you'll take them all. I'll take You know, I get up very early in the morning, and I tell all of my classes this. Uh, I get up very early Oh, you also every day. teach. Explain that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you mean my the law school? Right. Yeah, I teach it. I, I have. Uh, I teach at the Mississippi College School of Law. I teach two nights a week, and then uh, I'm on the Supreme Court. That's my day job, and then all of the dulcimer-related things I do, I guess, is my is my true love. Right. My real job. Uh, but I do. I get up early every morning, and uh, I answer emails, and I get lots and lots of emails because I ask people. Um, on my website and I posted a lot of free videos and I tell people in all of those videos if you have a question call me uh, and many times they do with or, or email me and many times they do and it's a question I can't answer but I always send them to somebody who can and so I'm always happy to get an email with a question uh, that's related to Hammer Dulcimer about where to find a string or how to tune it or uh, sure. Where to find a used one or anything like that. So, But perhaps not related to what I'm about to talk to you about. Okay. <laughs> so, Jess, you, the, maybe the question that's come up the most since I've been the editor of Dulcimer Players News Magazine deals with copyrights. Right. And before we get into the meat, of, and honestly, we may not get into the meat of it because it's, boy, it's a complex subject. It it's sure just is. extremely complex. I don't know if you ever saw the article eight years ago that I put in DPN about Pete the Pirate. I did. And that's the first time, that was my first attempt to try to do something about copyright. Not trying to talk about it like an expert, but talking about it from just basically talking to a kid. Somebody who's a great musician who just steals stuff left and right. Right. And that was a really frustrating interview I did with that guy because he's a good musician. I couldn't for the life of me understand why he feels like with impunity that he can just, because he can find things on Pirate Bay and he can download stuff that any he shouldn't have to pay for anything. So I would just wonder how you feel about that because we're going to be sort of talking about the other side of that in a bit. But what do you think about that, how, the, how culture has changed that way? Well, I don't know why it has. But I do know that with the advent of the Internet and the access that people have to music uh, and, you know, all of the scandals that have gone by on stealing music, uh, pirating music. uh, Movies and books and everything. Uh, There are so many websites where you can sign up and download everybody's music and... uh, what was the name of that one that uh, got in trouble? Um, I can't remember the name of it. The guy that he was the same guy that got involved with the Facebook thing. But uh, I think that for some reason the, the the younger people today don't have a real don't seem to 
have had enough exposure to why it's so important for artists, people who work hard to write music and to perform, to record, to get paid for their work. Uh, and, and one of the real problems with that is that the copyright law, to me, in my experience, the copyright law is so complicated and so difficult to deal with. Uh, you know, if you wanted to, for instance, uh, you heard somebody's song and you wanted to perform it, and you had a question, is it okay for me to do that? Uh, am I supposed to sign up somewhere or get permission somewhere? And there's no real easy guidebook to tell you where to go. Uh, you get lots of different opinions. And then suppose you wanted to arrange somebody's song. Uh, there's a song that you really like and you want to do your own arrangement. Uh, how do you get permission to do that? Sure. Now, we're not talking about Aaron O'Rourke writes, let's say you decided you wanted to record a hammered dulcimer version of Aaron O'Rourke's Hey Mom. Right. I, I know what you'd do. I'd call Aaron. You'd call Aaron. <laughs> but we're talking about outside of our loving community. <laughs> right. Right. Um the copyright law used to be, I think, 35 years, and a copyright expi uh, expired, and then the Congress extended it uh, three or four times, and now it's, I think, what, 95 years uh, that a copyright can be uh, renewed, up, I think, to 95. It's around 100 years. So isn't it also that it can be then renewed again sometimes? I think so. So, so, so it's hard to know. Uh, a lot of people think, gosh, this song was written back in 1910. And so surely it's okay for me uh, to use it, and it's in the public domain, but that's not always true. Right, and I want to be careful because I understand that lawyers are not supposed to, you're not supposed to advertise that you're an expert in something. Right. You know, specific expertise. But you've put a lot of time into copyright. Yes. This isn't just just talking about, I'm an attorney, so I'm going to talk about copyrights. <laughs> you've got a lot of hours into this kind of law well you know i've made i've made lots of there are there are law firms and organizations that help you acquire the right to do whatever it is you want to do with a particular song or any other kind of writing anything that can be copied and it is really difficult to find one that sort of caters to uh uh to people who want to perform other people's songs at a concert or two, or they want to teach some classes. Suppose you wanted to, Dan, suppose you wanted to uh, go to a festival and you wanted to teach uh, one of the Beatles songs. Okay. You wanted to teach the class. And in order to teach it, you want to prepare some materials. Well, well uh, you, yeah. know, you know you can't get uh, somebody else's sheet music and put it in a copy machine. You know you can't do that. Correct. But suppose you get a uh, some, some some score some uh, um, uh, some uh, score uh, for sheet music, the score paper, and you want to write it out yourself. Is that okay? Uh, suppose you just want to write out the melody notes and teach people the chords. Is, is that okay? And all these questions. And nowhere to go for easy answers. And if somebody tells you, well, you you got to get permission for that, how do you do it? And 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 it, there's even a question more basic than that that I think troubles most people who want to deal with copyright. And that is, who owns the song? You hear a song and you want to perform it or you want to record it or whatever you want to do. And you first question you have to answer is, who uh, whose song is this? Uh, sometimes it's easy because you know who wrote it, but sometimes they don't even control it because they've sold the right to That's control right. the song to somebody else. I'm trying to remember. Was it a bunch of Paul McCartney stuff ended up being owned by Michael Jackson, or was it the other way around? Do you re recall uh, hearing that? No, I think Michael Jackson bought it. I'm not well. Let me say I'm not sure. Yeah, and I'm that's okay sure. we, because we're not. That's really not the purpose of this. But yeah. it just that kind of thing happens. Right, and. Um, I know that uh, there's a there's a studio in Jackson, Mississippi, that bought lots of the lots of the Motown music, and a lot of the music that was recorded at Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and all of those artists. Uh, some of them still own the rights, some don't. So anyway, to I guess to get to the end of it, uh, it's complicated 
and what complicates it the most is trying to find. Uh, I don't think it's a question for or for people who do what we do. I don't think it's a question of whether or not they want to do the right thing. It's a question of how do you do it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just really difficult. Uh, I've looked for books and sources, resource information to share with people, and there's just not much out there unless you're really into, uh, you want to produce a collection uh, of writing, you know, a collection of, you want to you want to produce a book with 30 songs in it, and you want to get permission and produce it and sell it. All right, cool. But, get as specific as you can about that. Okay. Well, if, let's say there are 30 songs and you want to put them in a book, and you want to sell the book, well, you've got to find out who owns the copyright to each of those 30 songs, and you've got to get permission to do it. you got to pay. Let's and say all 30 songs are by uh, a single artist. It's a lot easier. Let's say it's uh, I'm Randy Newman, who's written hundreds of songs. You know, okay. He's got all those great. And I want to record an album of... Or, well, so there's that's two different things, isn't it? If I want to record an album of Randy Newman songs... And if I want to perform an album of Randy Newman songs, and then if I want to sell a book, right. those are three different things I have to deal with, right? And very different, very different things. To, to record, and strangely enough... That's the easiest, that's isn't it? That's the easiest. If you want to record, you can do it without permission. You How can, would I do it? You, uh, if you want to record, you just sign up with an agency, the, the, the Harry Fox Agency in Nashville uh, represents most artists and is able to... Uh, uh, and I want to use the word get permission because you don't really need permission. Uh, you have an automatic right to record a song as long as you pay the royalty for it, which is set by Congress. And right now, and I confess I'm not really up to the latest on it, but I think it's around nine cents a copy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought you, I remembered it actually being higher than that, but I don't could remember. Be, could be. It seems to me like the last time I did the my Turning Point CD with the Beatles thing on it, it seems to me like I was in the 24 cents. Does that seem possible? Well, I don't think so. I don't think it's that okay. high. Not it might have been because it was a medley or something, and I had multiple songs. I don't remember. But anyway, be. it was complex. It was expensive. Yeah. And uh, you tell them how many uh, copies you're going to produce. If you're going to uh, press 500 CDs or 1,000, uh, however many you're going to produce, uh, they'll. that's what you'll have to pay. And uh, then you can just record the song. Strangely enough, usually when you record a song, you record it with your own arrangement. But if you don't write that arrangement down and sell it as an arrangement, you don't have to pay for it. But if you decide to write down your arrangement <laughs> and sell it as an arrangement, you have to get uh, permission, and you, you cannot automatically do that. So here, here we go. Yeah. So and, and, and that's the, the, that's the toughest. If you want to... Uh, if you want to produce your own arrangement of a particular song you have to contact the representative of the owner of that copyright and get permission and what they require from you is different different musicians some musicians will just give it to you over the phone and you say no i want it in writing and you better get it in writing but uh i think most require you to go through uh a lot of uh, uh, a lot of there are a number of requirements that you have to fulfill before you're able to do it and I'll tell you uh, one of them is they require you to submit your arrangement on score paper uh, and it has to be done in I think finale or one. they give you a couple of uh, software programs that they require you to use you have to give them a file yeah and you have to give them a file with your arrangement on it and they'll get back to you, first of all, with two answers. One, whether the artist will allow you to produce that arrangement, and then if so, how much it's going to cost you. And sometimes it's very expensive. Two, three, four hundred bucks uh, just to get permission to do the is arrangement. It, so, is it two, three hundred, four hundred bucks to get permission to do the arrangement, plus royalties? Yes. Okay. And you have to pay royalties on what you sell. And how are those... So... The commercial music that I have that I've recorded was submitted to iTunes through CD Baby. 
So CD Baby's the service that I used. So I used Harry Fox to get my permission. Okay. And then I and then I paid up front for how many CDs I was having pressed. Well, you're done. I'm done. As long as there's no paperwork. You didn't write it down. Uh, suppose you went to a festival next week and you said to the class, hey, I'm going to teach you my version of Norwegian Wood. Okay. And uh, the way I play it is a little bit different from any sheet music you've ever seen, and I'm going to pass out my arrangement. When the answer is, of course it is. Even if you were trying to play it as close to the original as you can and you're playing it on a hammer dulcimer or mountain dulcimer, it's not the same as, you know, it's not even any, almost the same. Right. But if you're, gonna, if you're going to do that, uh, then you've moved into another world. You're no longer uh, in the world of royalties for a recording. You're now making money by distributing somebody else's an arrangement of somebody else's work. You're making tens of twenties of dollars. Oh, tens of twenties of dollars, maybe. <laughs> but <laughs> and you know, it's it's uh, it's pretty common for people to think, well, you know, uh, I'm doing this free, so it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. No, you. It's uh, it's a pretty scary thing, and that's why I said in the beginning, uh, the sad part of all of this is that it's just not easy to do. I've thought for a long time it would be. Don't you think it would be really good? If somebody, some lawyer or some person who knows a lot about that, about copyright and about the, about, uh, the business that we're in, uh, Hammer Dulcimer Music and festivals and performing and arrangements and all of that, if somebody would uh, just start a business... Yes, I wish you would. And, and, and uh, it's so funny you're mentioning that. And take a you know take a take a full page ad in Dulcimer yeah. Player News. And I like that idea. Announced to the world uh, to the to the Dulcimer world, uh, Mountain Dulcimer and Hammer Dulcimer world. Uh, whatever you're going to do with somebody else's music, contact so, me and I'll help you get permission and make sure everything is legal. So I, um, I want to interrupt you because I was mm -hmm. really thinking about this earlier when you were talking, and I thought I'd like to talk to Jess about that but I know you know you probably don't want to talk about that and then you said it and maybe you weren't saying you but I don't know anyone who would be more I mean this is what you do and maybe I know you're busy right now maybe in a different time well maybe so but I, my, my preference would be to find somebody else to do it and to encourage them and to get it going, if anybody out there interested contact me I just really think there's a lot of demand for it you know Jess the problem is that the person thinking that I'm not really making any money at this, even if they are making money at this, they're not really making any money at this. And right. so to pay someone, you know, legal fees, it's just expensive. There's just not a whole lot of money in what we do. Uh, I know, but, you know, it, uh, sometimes you can get uh, permission free. Sometimes an artist will charge you $15. Yeah. Uh, we're not talking about sure. the Beatles in every case. Uh, and so uh, it might not be as expensive as you think for some of the songs you want to do. And then there's another side to it, and that is uh, if you contacted this person that we're <laughs> trying to find. Right. And you said, I want to record or to do an arrangement of this song, and I'm not sure if it's in the public domain, is it? And... Uh, they find out for you. Well, my, I mean, my point is this: I think there's a lot of demand for that, and for and, a very, you well, know, can I add to this? Yeah, I think most people want to be honest and legal. Yes, I think so. That's my point. I, I think so too. Uh, they just don't know how to how to they don't know how to do it. Don't know what to do. Yeah, you know, one day I looked up the word egregious, egregious. and it said see copyright law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's it, it is complicated, and and it also uh, is a fact that it changes every year. They they uh, there are new regulations, uh, new ways that they administer the copyright law, and uh, it's just very complicated. And, and you know, if you make a lot of money, if you're a big time performer, and you do concerts uh, on a stage with ten or fifteen thousand people or twenty thousand people. Uh, that attend and they charge $75 a ticket uh, paying 
three or four or five hundred dollars for the right to arrange and perform a song it's not it's not a big deal it's not that's a that's nothing but when you're getting paid a few hundred dollars to go to a festival <laughs> or well, no, what are you talking about you're paying five dollars to get in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and you're doing it for the love of the music and you're not trying to make that's a lot right. of money out of it uh it's it's just a difficult decision and right and i think you want to do what is right but just it's just hard to know what to do sometimes yeah well my goodness i hope that we could twist your arm to think about that. So you and I have been talking about some stuff that you've been working on, and, I, and I'm sure that you don't want to let the cat out of the bag on that, so let's don't. Okay. But in just you showing me some of the, you know, a little bit of the correspondence that you've had and explaining the correspondence that you've written, I was exactly thinking, my goodness, Jess is a great resource. And, uh, you know, you just don't want to, I don't want to be that guy, and hopefully there's nobody listening that wants to be that guy who's like, Jess is a nice guy. I'll, he'll do this for me. <laughs> and, I'm, and I mean that. That's, you, don't, you just don't do that. It, it really would be good to get this set up. But oh, I do I worry so. about the economy of scale. There are a lot of people, and it's, you, I don't know. It'd be tough well, I think to make this, a living at it. I think this, Dan, I, 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 and I don't know this, but I think it. I believe that if you had someone uh, because you know these the artists I'm not sure they trust everybody who contacts them through some agency and they say this is what I want to do and I'm not really going to make any money off of it I'm not sure they really trust that but if somebody had an established business that and they were honorable and trustworthy and the artists and their representatives believed in their honesty and trusted them and if somebody wanted to do an arrangement of a tune and wanted to distribute it to 25 people at a festival and that's it and i'm not going to be selling it to anybody i'm just going to use it to try to teach people this song i really think and i don't know this but i really think it would be fairly easy to get permission to do that and probably for nothing well all right so here's a problem though jess this and this is a problem and, and it'd be interesting <coughs> I passed out uh, one of the songs. I, I, I taught two of my songs, and one of them was Dragonflies. Right. And I passed out music for it. By the way, I uh, heard you perform Dragonfly at the concert, and it was just one of the most incredible things I have ever heard. And I want to say kind. that. It was just terrific. Thank you. And it was, it's, I like to do it, and, and it was really fun to teach. And I never, by the way, when I'm playing a song like that, or when I'm teaching a song like that, I don't let people see the sheet music until the class is done. Yeah. And and exactly what I thought would happen, happened. So I <laughs> I didn't give them... Actually, I had the music on the table at lunch today. Somebody brought it over and was sitting next to somebody else in the that was a student and said, Look at all these notes. <laughs> I can't believe we played all these notes. Because it, when you look at uh, what we do, it's relatively complicated. I'm hearkening back to the show we did last week. Yeah. But anyway... <clears throat> Someone else who was also in the class came over and said, I want to know if you're okay if we make copies of this for our club because we'd like to learn this in our club. Now, for my answer, you know what my answer was. Sure. Absolutely you can. And thank you. And I'm honored that you're doing it. You know, and please subscribe to Dulcimer Players News Magazine. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I said, that's sure. how I get to do this stuff. And, uh, you know, buy my CDs and that kind of thing and tell me how cute my grandchildren are because <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that's important in life that would not work out if this was a Beatles tune that's right well but you know what Jess and this is where I know I'm, I'm walking on on really shaky ground right now that's one of the problems with boy I just almost don't want to say it, but you know I'm going to say it. it's one of the problems with clubs yeah. Because clubs generally copy a lot of music, and there are, I know there's always people within clubs that say you shouldn't be doing that, and there are people in clubs that are that are feel the opposite. Like, oh come on, how are we ever going to get to know what this artist does, or how's the music ever going to stand a chance? And it goes back to what you said earlier. It's just so stinking complicated to get permission that sometimes people just go, I'll just do it, and they know nothing is going to happen to them for yeah. doing it. Well, as an aside, do you know, Dan, who the biggest offender 
for violating the copyright law has been over the last uh, half century? I'm going to say the Otis Elevator Company. No. <laughs> okay. I was wrong on that one. Church, All right. Churches. Oh, okay. Churches. Yeah. Uh, for, for years and years, uh, it just was sort of the prevailing thought that music directors in churches could get a piece of sheet music and make copies for their choir. Mm-hmm. And lots and lots of churches did that. Uh, it's gotten more sophisticated now, and you really don't see many churches do that anymore. But uh, modern church music now is projected up on a screen, and people see the words up there, and it's the words of Chris Tomlin's song or somebody's song that they've written. And the church has purchased a blanket license to uh, to project and to use music, and they've sort of uh, they've sort of come out of that danger zone. But you're right about what you said about clubs. A lot of them uh, copy sheet music and. Well, but uh, stick to churches for a minute. Okay. That almost defeats the purpose of trying to sell music. Because when you're projecting it up on the screen, now you've you've lost the chance to sell, you know, copies of the music, just as you would have when they were making copies. Well, it's the way of the world, you know. It's just like newspapers. Yeah. Uh, newspapers are moving to e-newspapers, and uh, there's going to be less and less in print, and more and more in digital files. Sure, and that's just the way it's moving. So let, let's hang around this this thing for just a few minutes because it's. It goes back to where I began talking about that article from quite a few years ago with the, about the Pete the Pirate. Right. Uh, this this kid has grown up and with a completely different. It's not that his, even though it, every now and then I felt like we're talking about ethical issues. You know. Yeah. But it, it's a little different from that. Some of the stuff's cultural. If. If you grew up in a place where there were no apples, and the only time you ever got an apple, you know that you had to work two days to be able to go to the store and get that apple because you live in the desert and apples just don't grow in the desert. Right. So that apple would have a very high value. But if all of a sudden you move to a place where all you have around you is apple orchards, that you would still probably carry that little bit of thing that you wouldn't because you wouldn't go into the store and steal a $12 apple but walking through an orchard you might still feel a, an extra bit of guilt more than somebody who grew up around that to pull an apple and just eat it <laughs> right now, Pro- that's probably true and so I'm telling that story from the opposite side just so you can see that it also works in the in a different direction when every piece of music you've ever gotten has been free there are almost all the music you've ever gotten has been free. It just seems silly to pay for it because it's it's I don't know. This is the ethical considerations change and it, it's changing because of the technology. Now I want to go back to recording the Apple recording the uh, the commercial music that I've done. When I submit that stuff through CD Baby and there's other ways of doing it, and then they put it up on iTunes, we're now in a situation where every time that music gets played. There's a royalty paid also. That's a whole other. That's a whole other side of it. Every time when it gets played by who? When by, it gets played by Spotify or iTunes Radio, right, exactly, or by Amazon Prime that's or right. any of those things, it's all out there. And it's it's. I but don't know. Wait, but wait a minute, though. Okay. Most most uh, most services like that are just like a radio station. They pay. They pay. There's a blanket for you. Know, I know you used to be in radio. Uh, and as I understand it, they pay uh, a fee to be able to play everybody, an ESCAP fee and a CSAC fee and all of that. And they ha- they get to play the whole book of music. And they have to keep up with how much they play. And then they pay for it. They pay for it. Well, but tell me, so maybe I might have been really wrong. You might have just corrected something in my thinking, which has happened multiple times on this trip. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, I guess I was always always under the impression that if somebody played my Beatles medley on Spotify, and I don't know if you use Spotify or uh, any of those services, I have I have the free version. <laughs> okay, well, well, but still, the way it works is if you play one of my songs, then I get credit for you having played it. 
And if I stack you up with about, I'm telling you, it takes about 6,000 plays to make a nickel. Okay. It's really not very much. And I get played a lot. And matter of fact, my turning point CD, I guess it was, hit number three or something like that on the New Age charts in Japan or some crazy thing like that. And I was just amazed. You got a big check. No, I got a check for like $75. <laughs> but but Spotify pays that. Yes. Yeah. But what I want to know is, are because I'm playing a Beatles song that I got permission to record, is there any way that that money is tracking back to them? Do Are they getting some, some royalties off of my recording or not? Well, that... Uh, I'm going to make an educated guess. Yes, I think probably so. And the reason is because Spotify would never play it unless they could do it legally. And right. they're going to make sure that everybody is paid that is supposed to be paid. And so uh, they probably have a blanket license uh, to play uh, everybody's music. They have, you know, uh, somebody like uh, ASCAP. Who rep uh, uh, an organization that represents lots of composers and producers and musicians, uh, and collects the fees for them. They not only collect fees from individuals for individual performances and recordings, they collect fees from Pizza Hut. If Pizza Hut wants to play uh, music on a jukebox, right. And uh, if somebody wants to play elevator music on their elevators, they, they pay a license fee. And it's not per song. It's not per artist. It's just a blanket fee, and you can play all of the songs that right. they represent. And so I'm sure Spotify does that. But I'm, I, I shouldn't have said that. I should have said I'm sure. I, I, that you, would be my guess. You expect it. It's going to have to be a pretty complicated machine because, again, going back through the chain. Yeah. I first put my music on CD Baby because it was one of the easiest ones to get to. And then CD Baby, you sign a digital distribution agreement, then CD Baby makes it available to everybody else. Right. And so that's how it gets on everything. So you just, just imagine how complicated that machine is that somebody on Amazon Prime could play one of my songs and then that... Who knows how it happens? Well, now let me let me just ask you a question. I know that CD Baby sells CDs, correct? And so I doubt that they get copyright permission for the songs that are on CDs when they just sell a hard copy of a CD. Well, but you have to sign an affidavit that everything is uh, right. Yeah, right. But Spotify actually plays the music. That's right. And so if they play and broadcast the music, they've gotten, I just, I just am fa fairly confident they have gotten permission to do that. I'm not uh, sure. And I guess we have some listeners who are actually fairly well-versed in the tech industry. Uh, some, of my, some of our West Coast listeners, seriously, if somebody listens to this, and you know a little bit more about how that works, because I wonder, Jess, if the actual feeding, the actual feed where the audio stream comes from isn't perhaps still at CD Baby. I don't I don't know that Spotify would have would somehow grab every digital file and have it available. You know, I don't know how that works. For instance, this podcast that we're recording right now, we're we're recording it on an iPad driving down the highway. Right. And I'm gonna do all the stuff to get it processed and I'm going to submit it not directly to Apple. That's not who it gets sent to. The, the thing called the RSS gets Apple just picks it up and people subscribe to it and then it shows up in your uh, podcast player whether it's Apple's podcast player or Podcaster X there are many of them yeah. it's actually playing back off of the DP News website the DP News website is what streams it down to your podcast app which makes it look like it comes from Apple so I mean, there's all kinds of voodoo like that going on out there, and you don't even know where they exist. So, yeah, but I don't know that. Uh, I mean, let's take let's take it from the other end. Suppose you and I wanted to start a business, and we wanted to broad broadcast music and get subscribers. We want to get on the internet, and we want to talk people into doing what Spotify does. Right. 
Uh, Maybe just dulcimer music. Yeah, just dulcimer music. Okay, we know that our new business where we broadcast uh, over the Internet music that was written by and is owned by other people, we know there's, there, there is a requirement that a fee has to be paid for that. If we just start broadcasting that music and selling subscriptions to our website, and we broadcast that music, Quick, we're in trouble. Can we step back just a couple steps? Sure. I want you to continue where you are, but I don't want to get more specific with this. Okay. In the concert last night, Gary Sager played a couple of... Um, his set was fantastic, by the way. Sure I was. I just want to... Gary, I don't know if you listen or not, but... It was terrific. It's... Uh, my goodness, Gary's a good musician. I forget. You know, he's, he's such a fine instrument builder and just a fun person to be around, works hard at these festivals. Yeah. He's a great musician. That was wonderful. So he played some traditional songs, and then one of the coolest songs he played in the night uh, in his set was uh, Piano Man by Billy Joel. Right. So we get Gary's CD, and it's got Piano Man, and he's paid for the rights. Right. So now you and I on our radio show, or or forget that, we want to do it on this podcast. We want to play you Gary's version of Piano Man. Uh, Who gets paid how? Because we don't have those connections set up. Just because Gary purchased the rights to put that song on his CD does not give you or me the legal right to broadcast it and make money off of that broadcast. So let's say he didn't purchase the rights to put it on CD, so he didn't put it on the CD, but he performed it live at a venue that pays the ASCAP fees, which I would be where we were, uh, Recreation Unlimited, I'm quite sure they have to pay those fees because they have music. You know, they're playing music all the time. That's a different. Remember, so that's. But yeah. wait a second. We recorded it. We recorded the performance, and we want to play it back on this podcast. You got to pay. Who do you pay? You pay the owner of the copyright. I give you. <laughs> can I give you a great example? Sure. Let me give you a great example. When I practiced law uh, on the Gulf Coast. I represented the Mississippi Seawolves as a hockey team, which, by the way, won the Kelly Cup one year, which is sort of the Super Bowl of of minor league hockey. But at any rate, uh, the owner of the Seawolves purchased a CD that had little sound clips on it, sort of of, uh, drops, they were called. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And it had all kind of, you know, an airplane landing and sure. all kind of different things. And then things that they could play over the loudspeaker during a hockey game. Did he purchase it from Hollywood Edge? Because that's one of the big companies that does it. Is that I, you recall that? I do not know who he purchased it from. But he bought this CD and it had all these sound clips on it. And one of the sound clips, you remember the old wrestling match sound clip, Let's Get Ready to Rumble? That's right. That was on there. And so... The Seawolves played Let's Get Ready to Rumble at the beginning of every hockey game. Uh-oh. Well, I got a call one day from a lawyer in California who informed me that we, were, we had violated their, their uh, client's copyright to Let's Get Ready to Rumble. And I said, number one, I can't believe Let's Get Ready to Rumble has been <laughs> copyrighted. Uh-huh. And then I said, but number two, if, if it has been copyrighted, it's on this CD that they purchased and paid for. And the lawyer said it doesn't make any difference. You can, you, you, if you've got the CD, you can use it. Uh, it. It's for your personal use. But if you want to rebroad, if you want to broadcast it at a venue where you make money, you have to pay for that. And I researched it and found out he was exactly right. Mm-hmm. And we had to pay him. Uh, and so th- that uh, that translates to the question that you just asked: uh, If Gary or you or I purchased the rights to uh, uh, on my CD uh, from Dublin to the Delta my bluegrass band we purchased the right to put I'll Fly Away on there we got permission to put it on there for the number of CDs that we had produced so the fact that the song is on there and it's legal does not mean that if uh, if uh, Spotify took that CD I wish they would, but they took that CD and they play that music. They don't. They would have to get permission from me to do that. Excuse me. They would have to get permission from the owners of the copyright 
of I'll Fly Away. And if they didn't, they would be in violation of the copyright law. Yeah, I'm not sure you answered my, my full question, though. Okay. Gary, let's say <laughs> Gary had actually never even practiced, had never even written an arrangement, but he's up there improvising, and he launches into the Piano Man. Right. And all of a sudden, he's like, He's playing and he's playing a chord progression and he realizes this sounds like the harmonica intro. Da 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 dum. Okay. And all of a sudden he's into it. And we record that. And for 25 seconds, you recognize that he's playing Piano Man. It sure sounds like Piano Man. And we air that. There's no paper anywhere. There's nowhere where anybody was teaching it. It was just like an inspired moment. But copyright. Copying somebody else's work under the copyright law doesn't require it to be on paper. You you copied it digitally when you recorded it. Do you okay? So do so, you think that we would be the ones that would be liable for paying that if we aired that? Well, if you copied it and you did nothing with it, it's impossible to get in trouble because you. You don't do anything with it. You're the only one with a copy no, of it. but we're going to put it on this podcast. If you put it on this podcast... But the podcast is free. Well, because you perform it free doesn't give you the right to copy it and broadcast <laughs> it. Uh, th- there are exceptions to the requirement to pay, and one of them is not because I'm going to let people listen to it free. Uh, and, and, and as I said earlier, that's one of the big misconceptions about right. copyright. Copyright. A lot of people think, "Well, I'm not making any money off of this, so surely I don't have to pay." But you do. Mm. And, and another example of that would be: suppose I put, suppose suppose I recorded a CD and put ten songs on the CD, all of them uh, under the copyright law, and I said I'm not going to pay anybody for these songs because I'm just going to give this CD away. I'm not going to sell it. Yeah, you're still gonna. If I gotta pay, you gotta pay. Yeah. People don't often, right? They don't what? I mean, people often don't pay. Well, I don't know. You know, uh, really, by but that, <laughs> that would be my guess. <laughs> by what? By what we're talking about here? Every person who made a mixtape for their girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at some point, you know, ASCAP could come after them. Well, of course, I don't practice law anymore. None of this, none of the things I've said are legal opinions. But I just give you a just my guess would be uh, there are exceptions uh, that allow certain use of copyrighted material under certain circumstances, and sometimes uh, what people want to do qualifies for one of those exceptions, and sometimes it doesn't. And that There's, gets us yeah. back to you know I wish there was somebody. Uh, that people could contact easily and get uh, those kinds of questions. You could answered. give you definitive answers. Right, That's right. right. That would and be I, great. And I think I would think about that like an accountant because I can do my own taxes. Yeah. But when we stopped doing our own taxes, we stopped paying as much in taxes. <laughs> yeah. And I think, seriously, to have someone that you could call that could do that, let's say they said, I'll tell you what, it's $75 and you – and." $75 is my fee, and then 15 that's for one, and then $15 per song after that. I'm just yeah. saying. I'm making those numbers up. If it costs you $125, even if you found out, look, this is going to cost you $3,000, that you want to know that. You'd want to know it for sure. And uh, the, other, the, other, uh, the other thing that is really important to remember is uh, even though it's not very likely if you violate the copyright law on a small scale you don't you know you're not out there with uh with a cd that's uh selling a million copies you're you're doing some of the things that we've talked about uh it's not likely that you're going to get caught but if you do uh, you know the, what, Jess? I think it's more likely now than it used to be. Yeah, probably because so. of digital distribution. Yeah, uh, the CD sales are not what they once were, and everything's becoming digitally distributed, and which means there is—it's not a paper trail anymore; it's an electronic trail. Right. Uh, 
and I think it's funny because if you actually did none of your due diligence, you know, and you just did it, you didn't get permission for anything, you just did it, and you put it out there even digitally, but you know, nobody's going to notice. Yeah, you, you and I are having this discussion, and we're we're thinking in a certain tunnel. Okay, that includes the things that we're involved in dulcimer festivals and cds with dulcimer music or uh and, and performances the kind of things that we do but when you stop and think about the questions that are out there for people to wonder about that involve the copyright law just think about it i suppose you want to sing a song at somebody's wedding I suppose you want to sing a song at church I suppose you want to play guitar uh, for somebody else to sing somebody's song at a concert all of these things where people get involved with with copyrighted music and the question you know am i supposed to pay somebody is it okay for me to do that or uh i just think there are so many questions out there from people oh yeah uh and, and that's just my point i just i just think that if there was some resource uh i, I wish that the you know those who control the copyright world and there are only a few that do the big you know the big organizations yeah and for little bitty fish like you and me they're not really interested in having long discussions with us but i will say and and, you know forgive me if i shouldn't have done this we can stop and we don't have to keep this on the recording but on the way up to this festival you were telling me about the struggles you were having with one particular project you were working on yeah and while we were sitting there last night you got an email I did. I did. And uh, I think it was about three weeks ago that I had decided to do a song that I didn't end up doing. But uh, I wanted to do a particular song. I wanted to perform it and to provide some sheet music for it. And so I applied to one of those or to one of the law firms that represents a lot of the composers. And, and uh, I, let me set the stage a little bit. Okay. This isn't. Dan, the knucklehead dulcimer player, writing a letter. This is <laughs> Jess Dickinson, a Mississippi Supreme Court judge, yeah. who probably knows how to craft a letter in order to get someone's attention. Well, I wrote him a letter. Well, I did. I sent him an email. That's how you correspond okay. with him. I sent him an email and told him what I wanted to do and that I would like to purchase the right to do it. And three weeks went by, I heard nothing. And so I didn't do the song, but uh, strangely enough, while we were at the festival, <laughs> I got a response from that email. And the response was uh, what I assumed it would be, but I just wish I had gotten it weeks ago. But the response was, uh, okay, you can do it, but you need to send us your arrangement in uh, finale format, and we will submit it to the owner and get back to you and let you know what the fee is going to be. And I just didn't have time to do that. So sure. And it. even to get back to you, you don't know if that's a year from now or a week from now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they had if they had responded. And you know what? That response has got to be a stock response. That's a canned it, thing yeah. anyway, isn't it? And I don't even know why that had to go to an actual person. I don't know why they just didn't send me that back or why they didn't on their website – why they didn't just say, here's what you need to send us, instead of send us an email and tell us what you want to do. Uh, but that's the way it works. And I, it's just, if it's confusing for me and you and people who are involved in the music business to some degree, uh, think about how confusing and difficult it is for the casual per- musician, person who performs every once in a while or you know that they're not really trying to make a living out of music i just think it's sad i just really think that the world that you know the, the the laws in this country should provide some kind uh, of help for people like that because music is so important well i want to know who to be mad at <laughs> well i don't know I, I, no you just don't want to say attorneys <laughs> it, it, i'm sure attorneys share a lot of the blame uh but it's just very complicated law all of the copyright right. law is it comes all the copyright law comes from the congress and 
uh, if anybody, any group of people on earth can make something complicated, it's the Congress. <laughs> just take a look at the tax code. Right. But uh, 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 I just, I just, it would just be really nice. And I, and, and the other thing is that I think it would really be a good thing for composers uh, of music uh, because I really think it would, it would uh, increase interest in their music and it would increase I think the so. number of people who hear the music and it would all, all be done legally. I just think it would be a good thing. So-